Hey guys, little late today. My name is Ren City, host of Sports and Shorts of Sorts. Like I said, a little bit of a delay, some technical difficulties this morning. Sorry about that. Thanks for sticking around. It's the weekly podcast where we cover the wild week of sports, ending with a little short moment in my life. But uh, what we do in every episode, honor the jersey wearers. Um, starting with uh, the baseball diamond. First, I'll mention he's a beast in the Midwest. I'm talking about Tory Hunter. He made his MLB debut draft, or sorry, with the team that drafted him 20th overall in '93 draft, the Minnesota Twins. Hunter would take a few years until he was uh, starting regularly, and then after a hot 2000 start. His average has dropped a bit, and he was sent to the minors to work on his game. He lighted up coming back to, with the, the Twins, and he was swinging. He was known more for his defense, defensive prowess and would win nine straight gold gloves. He'd make his first All-Star game as a Twin as well. And in that game, he'd raw Barry Bonds in a, uh, at, from a home run in what many called the catch of the season. He'd make another All-Star appearance as a Twin before moving to the Angels. As an angel in Los Angeles, he'd make two more All-Star games. He thrived out there. He'd then move to the Tigers, where he'd make his last All-Star game. Then he'd play his last season where it all started, back in Minnesota. So when it was all said and done, five-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. He's in the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame for all he did in Minnesota. Not in the Baseball Hall of Fame yet. I'm not sure if he'll get in. But, uh, excuse me. Going from a retired player to a current one, next on our 48 list, pitcher Jacob deGrom. deGrom started off as a shortstop for getting converted to the pitcher before his starting before starting his junior year at Stetson. This led to the Mets drafting him in the ninth round of the 2010 draft. He would not make his rookie debut until four seasons later, and once he was up, he was up. During his rookie campaign, he won NL Rookie of the Year. This play continued to develop from there, and he became an important piece of those really good Mets teams. He's made four All-Star games. He's made the All-MLB first team twice. He's led the NL in strikeouts twice and in an ERA once. He won back-to-back NL Cy Youngs in 2018-2019. He signed a huge deal to leave the Mets for the Rangers. Excuse me. And after looking really good in those starts, you pick up an injury requiring Tommy John surgery to repair that torn UCL and his right elbow. But DeGrom's one of the best pitchers of his generation, I'd say. And I imagine he'll come back from this Tommy John surgery better than ever. At least I'm hoping so. We'll stick with the pitchers. This one, we're going to a retired one. Cleveland legend Sam McDowell. He was called Sudden Sam for his very calm pitching motion. He started his career with the Cleveland Indians, as they were called, and it took him a few seasons before he'd become a consistently good pitcher. He started the show Flashes in 64, and he'd break out the following season, earning first of his six All-Star appearances. He'd lead the AL in strikeouts in ERA that season. He'd lead the AL in strikeouts four more times over his career. He'd go on to play with the San Francisco Giants, Yankees, and his last season was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But like I said, he'll be mostly remembered for his time in Cleveland. He's in the Guardians Hall of Fame, as the team's now known. And also, a kind of a fun fact involving Sam McDowell is the character Sam Malone, the alcoholic ex-Red Sox pitcher portrayed by Ted Danson in the series Cheers, was based off Sam McDowell. I mean... There's good parts of that and there's bad. It's like, hey, I'm part of a show, but hey, I was part because I was an alcoholic. But hey, it worked out, I guess. We'll stick with retired MLB pitchers. Next 48 on the list, Rick Ruschel. 
Some called him Big Daddy for his quickness despite his larger size. He was drafted in the third round of the 1970 draft by the Cubs. He'd spend a few years in the minors before getting that call up to the big show. His best season probably came in 77, which which was also his first All-Star game. After a few more seasons in Chicago, he was traded to the Yankees, where he'd make a World Series appearance but lose to the Dodgers in a Classic. Then he was quite ineffective in the series, actually. Many thought his career was done, but he'd return to the Cubs, where he spent most of his time with injury. His most time out with injury, and after his second stint there, he'd go to the Pirates. He had a good season, enough to win NL Comeback Player of the Year. Then he'd get traded to the Giants, and he was a presence on a contending team. You know, uh, he'd make two more All-Star appearances, and even help the Giants get to the 89 World Series. His fir- the first in the franchise in 62. They'd lose to the eventual champion, Athletics, and... That left Arusha a ringless for his career, but regardless, he's in the Cubs Hall of Fame, the Giants Wall of Fame, and he's one of two pitchers in MLB history, alongside Frank Tanana, to give up a home run to both Hank Aaron, who we honored in episode 44, and Barry Bonds, who we honored in episode 25, the two top home run hitters in MLB history, so that's kind of cool. Sticking with larger size baseball players, not many larger than the Kung Fu Panda, Pablo Sandoval. Venezuelan-born Sandoval is most remembered for his time with the Giants in San Francisco. He made his debut there, his best numbers there. He made back-to-back All-Star games and even hit for the cycle in one of those seasons. He was a crucial member of three World Series Giants teams in 2010, 2012, and 2014. He won the World Series MVP on the 2012 team. He'd signed big money to join the Red Sox, but he'd never live up to that. And He just got bigger with his weight issues. And uh, He returned to the Giants in hopes of resurrecting his career, but it never panned out. He'd try out with the Braves, similar outcome. His last ditch after it last year, he tried to make it in the Mexican League, but he was uh, released and he hasn't been signed since. But hey, the Kung Fu Panda, he peaked early and he battled some weight issues, but when he was on, there weren't many better. I don't see him making the Hall of Fame, but hopefully he gets his, uh, gets some honors with San Francisco. He was a big part of those title-winning teams. Next baseballer on this 48 list, Ralph Gar, most known for his time with the Braves, and he played collegiately with Grambling State University. Phenomenal hitter and speedster, which earned him the nickname Roadrunner. But the thing holding him back was his below-average fielding. The best season of his career in 74, he led the NL in batting average and made his only All-Star game. He played with the White Sox and Angels, but he wasn't the same player he was back in Atlanta. But his play there got him inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame. I'll do a quick rapid-fire 48s in baseball here before we get to the gridiron. Center fielder Andy Pafko, four-time All-Star, part of the 75 World Series Milwaukee Braves team that beat the Yankees in seven games. He's also honored in the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. Next 48, Jim Colborn. He was known for his time with the Milwaukee Brewers, made an All-Star with the Brewers, and he was the first Brewer to have 20 wins in a regular season. He pitched a no-hitter as a member of the Royals as well. And when all said and done, he suited up for the Cubs, Brewers, Royals, and one season with the Mariners. He's honored by the Milwaukee Brewers Wall of Honor. Next 48, so mentioned, uh, he's related to a Hall of Famer, Ramon Martinez, brother of Pedro. He made one All-Star game as a member of the Dodgers. He threw a no-hitter in 95 with the same franchise. He's a really good pitcher until he tore his rotator cuff, and he really wasn't the same guy. Played most of his career with the Dodgers, but he suited up with the Red Sox and Pirates. Last MLB mention, we'll go to a guy from London, Ontario. Paul Quantrill played with the number 48, suited up with a few different clubs, starting with the Red Sox. He played with the Phillies, Blue Jays, Dodgers, Yankees, Padres, Marlins, making one All-Star game with the Blue Jays. And uh, he was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. So good on him. 
From the diamond to the gridiron, first NFL player I'll mention is a running back, Stephen Davis. He was a beast in college, setting some Auburn University records that still stand today. Most rush attempts, most rush yards, most rushing touchdowns. Despite that great play, he didn't get taken until the fourth round of the 96 draft by the Washington Redskins, as they were called. He was predominantly used as a backup or as a fullback until he got the starting job at the end of the 99 season. He took that position and literally ran with it. Posting career highs, made his first Pro Bowl, made second team All-Pro, leading the league in touchdowns. Following season, another Pro Bowl appearance, and after a few good seasons in D.C., he'd signed with the Panthers and was a very important part of that team getting the Super Bowl 38. It was a close game where the Panthers would lose to the Patriots, last second field goal by some clutch kicker named Adam Vinatieri. It was also Davis's last Pro Bowl season. The following season, he'd suffer an injury like a few other people on the list, was not the same player after. He finished his career with the Rams, and he had a small window of greatness, but during his best, there were not many better at short-distance runs. And he could bust one here and there, too. He was chosen as a member of the Washington Commander's 90 greatest. Next NFL player to don the 48 and going with a young current player, Christian Harris of the Houston, Texas Texans. He was a beast for Nick Saban in Alabama. He was a member of the 2020 National Championship team. That play led him getting drafted in the third round by the Texans in the 2022 draft. And he was a very important part of a strong defense that managed to win the AFC South this year and surprise people getting to the playoffs, where he made big plays in the playoffs. Unfortunately, they were knocked out, but... You know, I see Harris's stock doing nothing but rising. Sticking with current linebackers, next 48 in the list, Jelani Tavai. He played college ball at the University of Hawaii. He was drafted in the second round by the Detroit Lions. He's played pairing, sparingly as a rookie before picking up an injury, not getting much playing time, and was part of the cuts. From there, he'd signed with the Patriots, was a practice squad player, working his way onto the roster, and this past season, he was start, one of the starting linebackers. Hard-working linebacker that's still under the contract with the Patriots going in the next season. The last NFL player is also a current one. Going away from linebacker, going to safety. New Orleans Saint, JT Gray. Gray would play collegiate ball at Mississippi State. Despite doing awesome there, he'd go undrafted in the 2018 draft before signing with the Saints. Practice squad player elevated to the roster. Good special teamer, making second team All-Pro as a special teamer. And then in 2021, he'd make his first Pro Bowl as well as first team All-Pro. So you just worked at it. Like going, like I said, going undrafted to becoming a Pro Bowler, good on him. Jumping to the NBA, there were some really slim pickings. The best I could find, former Nazir Muhammad, wore the 48 for three seasons with the Bulls. He won two titles at the University of Kentucky before getting drafted late in the first round by the Jazz, getting shipped to the Sixers. He was your definition of a journeyman player. He played at the Sixers, Hawks, Knicks, Spurs, Pistons, Bobcats, Thunder, and Bulls. He won a title with my Spurs in 2005, but he wore a different jersey number with them. He had a few in his days, but like I said, he was one of the longest tenured number 48 guys to get on this podcast. Right now, Nazir is a general manager of the OKC Thunder's G League team, the Oklahoma City Blue. He's also a scout for the Thunder, and they scout well, so he must be doing pretty good. We'll leave the basketball court and end up on the hockey rink. First 48 mentioned, Daniel Danny, Danny Briere. Briere was a great player in Quebec that let him get in draft in the first round, the 96 draft by the Coyotes. Beginning his NHL career splitting time between the Coyotes and their AHL affiliate, the Springfield Falcons, where he put up some big numbers, winning, winning the Dudley Red Garrett Memorial Award for Rookie of the Year in the AHL. 
That would get him a permanent spot in the NHL roster. He was dealt to the Buffalo Sabres in a deal that brought Chris Gratton back to Phoenix. There was a strike, so Briere played in Switzerland. After the strike, he returned. He was a star in Buffalo, a goal machine, earning the nickname Cookie Monster for shooting top shelf all the time, where Mama hides the cookies. He'd make an all-star game in 2007 with the Sabres and even won the all-star game MVP. As a free agent, he'd signed with my Flyers, and... Uh, He'd have some pretty good years there, too, helping get in the Flyers of the Stanley Cup Finals, leading all players in points on that Finals run. However, they'd lose to the Blackhawks in six. Briere would add one more All-Star game to his resume as a Flyer before finishing his career with Montreal and then Colorado. He's also represented Canada internationally and won a gold medal at the World Juniors and has won two gold medals at the World Championships. And right now, he's still with the Philadelphia Flyers at the general manager role, so sticking with the franchise, one of the teams he played for. My last 48 mention is current NHL top player Thomas Hurdle. Checkpoint player was lighting it up in his home country as a youngster, which led to the San Jose Sharks taking the center 17th overall in the 2012 draft. It's been nothing but consistent for the Sharks, having productive season after productive season, spending the entirety of his career with the team that drafted him. He's made two All-Star games, including the event that just went down in Toronto. Hurdle also represented his country as part of the bronze medal winning Czech team in the 2022 World Championships. So yeah, some good number 48s in there. From there... We'll go to what's happening in the week here. Well, something that hasn't happened yet. The big Super Bowl 58 battle. That's going on next Sunday between the Kansas City Chiefs and 49ers. So you know we'll be recapping that after the game. But uh, we'll even do a little preview after we go over some coach hirings here. The NFL, you know, they're trying to get their ducks in line for next season. Seahawks. Uh, they got rid of Pete Carroll. He moved to a different role. They may name Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their new head coach. 36-year-old become the NFL's youngest guy. That's my age. Oh, my God. Jesus, that's cool. <laughs> Only a day after losing uh, their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, who, like I said, just went to Seattle. The Ravens acted swiftly and hired from within. John Harbaugh promoted inside linebackers coach Zach Orr into the defensive coordinator role. The move surprised people a bit as Orr has just three years of experience and is 31 years old, but the Ravens see him as a rising star and they fear if they wouldn't have promoted him, they would have lost him. He was an undrafted free agent out of North Texas who made the Ravens as a rookie and excelled, but had to retire at the age of 25 due to congenital spine condition. He went in the coaching from there and he's really done well at it. I love that they're keeping him. We'll see. Hopefully he does a good job there. The Washington Commanders hired Dan Quinn to be their next head coach. 53-year-old stays in the division after being a defensive coordinator in Dallas. Quinn was also a head coach, spending six seasons with the Atlanta Falcons from 2015 to 2020. Sticking with the Commanders, I guess Eric Bieniemy's got nowhere to go with Quinn coming in. He got the boot, and look who's coming in, Cliff Kingsbury. Coming back to the NFL, it sounded like he was going to the Raiders and then did the last-minute switcheroo, and he's going to be a commander now. My Green Bay Packers hired a new defensive coordinator after letting Joe, Joe Barry go. They went to the collegiate ranks and hired Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley spent past four seasons as the head coach of the Boston College University, so it's interesting you're leaving a head coach position for a coordinator position, but it is the NFL. If that's your goal, good on him. I'm looking forward to see what he can do with the defense, who in the second half of the season looked a lot better. 
Sticking with defense, the Miami Dolphins replaced Vic Fangio with new defensive coordinator Anthony Weaver. He was with the Ravens last year as an assistant head coach and defensive line coach. Those Ravens were getting plucked <laughs> after things fell through with Kingsbury. And we were wondering where the Ra- Raiders would go. They went with former Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze to run the offense. Uh, it's a little questionable. His offense wasn't always super good in Chicago, but uh, a lot of good jobs out there. Who's going to join Mike McDonald in Seattle as his new coordinators on both sides of the ball? Who's Harbaugh bringing in his coordinators? Cowboys and Commanders, their defensive jobs are still both available. So a lot of good opportunities for some work there. We'll see who takes them. But, hey, that's all down the road talk. Let's talk with the big game. Football! Super Bowl 58 is coming up, right? Tough news for the Chiefs, though. They'll be out without Charles O'Menahue. The guy made a big strip sack in the AFC Championship game, but he had to leave the game with the injury. Turns out that was a torn ACL. Brutal way to end the season for the big guy. And I know this is where Patrick Mahomes does his heroic shit, comes in, wins the Super Bowl, but there may be something on the quarterback's mind. His dad, Patrick Mahomes Sr., was arrested on suspicion of DWI in Texas. That's his third DWI. What the hell? And that can carry up to 10 years of prison in Texas. You know, I'm not saying he'll get 10 years, but third time's usually the charm. We'll see what happens where with Mahomes, and we'll see where his son... Where his mind will be come kickoff. So maybe this is the year Ren City kind of gets a prediction right. Back in the NFL season preview special I dropped September 7th, I picked the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. Christian McCaffrey winning Super Bowl MVP. Granted, I picked it over the Buffalo Bills, but hey, I'm still kind of close, right? So I'm rooting for that, but we'll see what happens, you know. Who's going to step up on this offense for the 49ers? There's stars everywhere. Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, a wild card comes in, maybe Elijah Mitchell or something. Anything can happen. Can Brock Purdy silence all those critics and haters with the nice Super Bowl ring to rub in their faces? Or will he come up short, give those haters extra fuel? We know what Mahomes and Kelsey can do. Is this Kelsey's last dance? Will he join his brother in retirement? Can the 49ers disturb Mahomes enough to give their defense the edge? 49ers acquired pass rusher Chase Young to impact the defense in big moments. And he's not really done anything. There's talk he might not even play in the game. He might get benched for lack of effort. That would be devastating. He's got to show up and make a big play because I'm picking the 49ers. Picking them to win 27-23. to Christian McCaffrey winning MVP. Usher kicking ass at the halftime show. And uh, I'll imagine there'll be a dope Taylor Swift single made from all the heartbreak of the Super Bowl loss. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It should be exciting. Get your popcorn. F1 news. I don't usually mention F1 this early in the show or in the offseason, but massive news. Seven-time F1 world champion Lewis Hamilton set to leave Mercedes for Ferrari in 2025. He announced the Mercedes announced Hamilton will leave the team following the 2024 season after activating a release option in his contract. The 39-year-old won six of his seven titles with Mercedes, and it didn't take long for Ferrari to sign a multi-year contract beginning in that 2025 season. It'll be Hamilton's 19th in F1, and that pairing of Hamilton and Charles Leclerc should be fun to watch. But what what will Carlos signs here? I mean, that's not good news for him. He's driving for Ferrari this year and for some future work. We know the Spaniard's a very capable driver in F1. I read maybe Williams. I don't know about that. Ferrari to Williams. You don't want to do that. But, hey, you know, a job's a job. We'll see what happens. We'll 
leave the racetrack. We'll go to some footy here. This crazy AFCON that's going on in Africa, the Cup of Nations. We had a Group B winners, Cape Verde. This is a round of 16, taking on Mauritania. Cape Verde dominated most of the possession, but the only goal came really late. Dangerous cross into the box led to a penalty. Cape Verde got the penalty chance. Ryan Mendes scored. That was it. Cape Verde, boom, onto the semi, onto the semifinals. Uh, or sorry, the quarterfinals. And then you had a big matchup between Senegal and Ivory Coast. I had Senegal winning this tournament in the beginning. Uh, we'll see what happened in this game. The latter there, Ivory Coast, we remember they fired their coach after just some group stage play when they were disappointed but still managed to qualify as a wild card. Senegal scored early in this one, had them up not even four minutes into the match, and Ivory Coast put on some pressure, did what they had to do, leading to a penalty. VAR confirmed it. Frank Kessie would step up, bury the penalty, tying it at one in the 86th minute. We go to extra time, no goals. We're off the penalties. Ivory Coast won 5-4 in penalties, upsetting Senegal, who had a perfect tournament so far, advancing in the corner finals with an interim manager. And like I said, first loss for Senegal of the tournament, and they're out. That's what tournament play is all about. Group E winners, Mali, they got a perfect start in their game against Burkina Faso. An own goal by Burkina Faso put them down, not even three minutes into the match. In the second half, Sinioko would score to double Mali's lead. In the 57th minute, Bertrand Traore would cut it in half, but that's as close as they get. Mali, boom, quarterfinals. Group F winners, Morocco, were in a tough match with South Africa. After a scoreless first half, Evidence Mangopa would put South Africa ahead. Just before stoppage time, late in the game, Morocco got a penalty for a handball. Hakimi stepping up. We know Hakimi, PSG, he's a great player. He would not convert the penalty, hitting the crossbar. A few minutes later in the stoppage time, Morocco would get a red card, down a man, boom, South Africa advancing. Tons of upsets in the round of 16. In the quarterfinals, you had Nigeria bouncing Angola. Adamola Lookman continuing his scoring ways, getting the only goal in that one. Another matchup had Guinea with more of the possession, but they could get none of the goals. The Democratic Republic of Congo would have some clinical goals as they took down Guinea 3-1. And nice to see former West Ham player Arthur Masiako get a nice clinching goal for Congo on their way to victory. Ivory Coast, like I said, fired their coach. After the group play, improbable tourney run. It's been something else. They find themselves in trouble against Mali. Mali would have a penalty chance early, but Traore would miss. And the Ivory Coast would go down a man when Kasuno would pick up his second yellow card in the first half. And, uh, yeah, Mali would open the scoring in the 71st minute, having the extra guy. And then, uh, yeah, Nene de Gorles, he wasn't even on the field 10 minutes before scoring. And it looked like Mali would have this game wrapped up. But then Simona Drinja equalizing in the 90th minute, forcing extra time. And that would add to the more craziness. It shot from deep would get redirected by Diakite, who would score in the stoppage time of extra time, the 122nd minute. Game winner. Diakete would take his shirt off, go celebrating, getting his second yellow card for that. So he'll be out the next match with a red. Then after the game, Mali's captain, Himore Traore, he went after the officials. The ref was pushing him back, throwing up a red card there. Just a crazy scene. These tournament games are crazy. The last matchup was between Cape Verde and South Africa. After no goals in 90 minutes, extra time couldn't produce any goals. We'd go to penalties and South Africa would prevail. 
upsetting Cape Verde, advancing to the semifinals. And they're going on this week, y'all. Nigeria playing South Africa. While Côte d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, play the Democratic Republic of Congo. These should be some entertaining games. Representing Africa in a great way. Check them out. Some of the other midweek fitty. You had the German Cup game going on. Some Pokal Cup. Uh, some Bundesliga 2 teams involved. Dusseldorf and St. Pauli were all tied up and needed penalties where Dusseldorf would win. And the other match, FCK, no you in there. They beat Hertha Berlin 3-1 despite only having 30 possession of the ball. And then there's two quarterfinals going on this upcoming midweek. Leverkusen and Stuttgart. And third division side, Saarbrücken, taking on Mönchengladbach. That's, that's tough to say all at once. Premier League, there were some league matches during the week and the weekend. During the week, Arsenal picked up a nice 2-1 win over Forrest. Luton Town shocked Brighton. Two goals in the first three minutes, setting up a Elijah Adebayo hat trick as Luton crushed Brighton 4-0. After going down on two different going down on two different occasions, Crystal Palace showed some grittiness. Coming back to beat Sheffield United 3-2, another tough loss for Sheffield. Fulham dominated possession, but would finish with a scoreless draw with Everton, who was just happy to get the point. Newcastle went on the on the road and surprised the good Aston Villa team with two goals by Fabian Scher, so helping the Geordie club win 3-1. Man City continued their winning ways, beating former City captain Vincent Company's club Burnley 3-1. Tottenham would score three goals in an eight-minute stretch in the second half to pull off a comeback win over Brentford. Very chippy game, both teams talking a lot of shit. After the game, it looked like Brentford's Ivan Tony was upset with the Tottenham keeper, Vicario. Vicario explained after the match, he was talking to me a lot during the match. When it was over, I just told him, I hope you didn't bet on the result. It's a pretty big dig since Ivan Tony was suspended for eight months for betting. So that's good trash talk, though. You need that. <laughs> My West Ham played some really uninspired footy at home against Bournemouth. A dreadful giveaway led to the visitors going up three minutes in. Took a James Ward-Prowse penalty in the second half to save the point for my hammers. Liverpool embarrassed Chelsea. 4-1 in a game that set a new low for Chelsea fans. And perhaps the game of the Premier League this past week between Wolves and Man U. Man U were up 2-0 after 22 minutes after goals from Rashford and Holland. And it stayed that way until the second half. Sarabia would convert a penalty to bring Wolves in it. But then Scott McTominay would cancel that out. And three, not even three minutes later. Then the 85th minute, Max Kilman would score, make things a little nervy. Then five minutes in the stoppage time, Pedro Neto would score for the Wolves, tying it at three. Looked like we had a tie on our hands. Then the magic happened. 18-year-old Kobe Maino would go on a fantastic run before scoring and giving Man U the amazing 4-3 win. Like I said, crazy game. And all that midweek madness led into some pretty wild weekend footy. Tottenham looking destined for victory against Everton, but a stoppage time goal from 21-year-old Jared Brathwaite would secure the 2-2 draw for Everton. Brighton avenged a avenge their surprise result by taking it out on Crystal Palace. The home side Trout's Palace 4-1 with four different goal scorers. Two first-half goals in the first half by Fulham would get erased by two second-half by Burnley. Stoppage time goal by Fofana, his second of the match, would secure the 2-2 draw. Great game for the Chelsea striker, fresh on loan from Burnley. He just needed out of those Chelsea colors. Newcastle hosted Luton Town, a game featuring great goals and some not... Not so great ones, but they were scoring from everywhere. The game was 4-4. Fans definitely got their money worth. Aston Villa, another team looking to avenge a tough mid 
midweek loss. Took it out on Sheffield United. Big 5-0 win. Five different goal scorers. Looking like the Aston Villa we're kind of more used to seeing. My West Ham looking the sparks the magic in Old Trafford but forgot their wands at home. Did not go our way. The youngsters up front killed us. Early goal for the 21-year-old Dane Rasmus Holland put Manu up early. Then two second-half goals from 19-year-old Garnacho put the game away. United fans had a lot to be happy about that youth scoring up front, but have to be crushed about the news. The defender, Lisandro Martinez, he just got back in the lineup from missing a lot of time with a knee injury, and it, this knee injury did not look good. It's expected he'll miss a lot, some extended time. Hate to see injuries on people that just come back. And another disappointing result for West Ham. We've now gone four league games without a win, but hey, it could be worse. It could be Chelsea right now. Chelsea hosted Wolves, and things look promising as Cole Palmer put a Chelsea up 19 minutes in. But it went all downhill from there. Four unanswered goals by Wolves, including a hat-trick from Cunha, really swung the game. They won 4-2. And I said Chelsea might have been at a new low earlier. Well, this is even lower. They're now 11th in the table. For a team that spent as much money as as they have, that's got to be terrible. Bournemouth and Forrest played to a 1-1 match. Both goals coming in the first half. One five into the match, one just before halftime. Biggest match of the, of the weekend in between two title hopefuls, Arsenal and Liverpool. Arsenal looked the better team, and uh, after Allison made a save, Saka would knock it into the net to put Arsenal up. And then in the first half stoppage time, Liverpool would equalize. Some bad miscommunication between the Arsenal defenders and keeper David Rea. The ball would be called. The goal would be given to a Gabriel own goal, but you could have gave it. It was dreadful. Second half, to seem to be a more even match game. Liverpool made a mistake similar to Arsenal's in the first. Bad miscommunication this time between Virgil Van Dijk and uh, keeper Allison, who was way in no man's land outside the box, led to Martinelli getting the ball, and the Brazilian put it into the empty net, putting the Gooners up again. And then later in the game, Trossard, who came, who was a sub onto the game, would make a nice little move to go down the side of the pitch. He is on a tough angle, and he had no one to cross to, so he said, boom, five-hole, right through the legs of Allison to put Liverpool out of their misery. Big win for Arsenal. The last match of the match day was Brentford Man City. Mopai put Brentford up in the 21st minute, but Phil Foden would score a hat trick to give Man City a 3 1 comeback win. We know we've just honored Phil Foden last episode, wearer of the, of the Jersey 47. Looking at our table, we have some uh, different factors. Liverpool is still top of the league with a two point edge over Man City and Arsenal, who are tied. Man City has the goal difference advantage, and they have a game in hand. So if they won that game, they'd be top of the league. So Aston Villa round out the top four, and we have some FA Cup replays to look forward to this week. La Liga, there were some make-up games in the midweek in Spain to make up for some postponed matches due to scheduling. Barcelona would need a second-half goal from Vita Roca to get the 1-0 win over Osasuna. Atletico Madrid would open the scoring, and Rao Vallecano would answer just before halftime. And after a late goal by Atletico was cancelled out by VAR, it looked destined for a draw. Then the 90th, 90th minute, Walken and Memphis Depay would put Atletico ahead again. This time it counted, and they'd pick up the 2-1 win. Real Madrid would go on the road to play Getafe. Two goals by Spanish big man Yosalu wouldn't be enough to secure the win. And a moment at that game is getting looked at by Spanish officials. After a tough challenge between the two Englishmen, Jude Billingham went in strong on Mason Greenwood. It's alleged that Bellingham called Greenwood a rapist. 
Well, we know that Greenwood is on loan to Getafe from Man U because of the flack of bringing him back into the Manchester United lineup following his attempted rape, controlling and coercive behavior and assault charges back in October 2022. Those charges were dropped in February 2023 when there was no longer a realistic prospect of conviction. And uh, yeah, Greenwood says he's innocent. He did nothing wrong. Bellingham says, fuck you, you rapist. We'll see what happens. We'll see what La Liga does about it. I think I think he can call him that. He was charged with it. Fuck it. I don't think he should be disciplined. Uh, that midweek play led to some fun games on the weekend. Uh, Athletic Bilbao hosted Mallorca, destroying them 4-0. Two, two goals in the first 60 minutes by Bricicci really set the tone in that one. Barcelona had a thrilling match while visiting Alaves. Lewandowski put the visitors up in the first half, and that was doubled just four minutes into the second half by Gundogan. And then not even two minutes later, Omarodion would get a goal for the home side to make things interesting. Then it looked bad as Gundogan picked up an injury and had to get substituted out. Tough play for this team that has a lot of injuries right now. But his replacement, Vito Roca, would come in just four minutes on the field, scoring a goal. And then not even ten minutes after his goal, he'd pick up two quick yellow cards and get dismissed from the game. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. Despite all that chaos, Barcelona would hold on to the much-needed win. Salta Vigo went on the road and got three different goals from three different goal scorers. They got a big win over Osasuna, distancing themselves a little from the drop zone. Other matches ended in draws. Granada would overcome a red card in the 21st minute to keep the game interesting. They'd go up just before halftime. Las Palmas would answer in the second half. And then Las Palmas would get a direct red. And they'd, we'd finish the game tied at one, 10 players on each team. Villarreal and Cadiz would play to a scoreless draw. As well as Girona and Real Sociedad. Although Girona had scored in the game, VAR found a foul occurred minutes, yes, minutes before the goal happened, which brought up the question, how far back do you go for a foul before a goal? Like, Real Sociedad cleared the ball. It had come back and then gone in the net. Is that not a change of advantage? I don't know. More battles with the VAR about that one. Tough go for Girona. Penalty was uh, awarded to both teams in the match between Real Betis and Getafe, and Isco and Mason Greenwood converted them, that match ending in 1-1. But the biggest match of the weekend was the Madrid Derby, with Real Madrid hosting Atletico. 20th-minute goal by Bram Diaz at Real Madrid looking pretty good. Looked like they were going to prevail as victors, but then in stoppage time, Marcos Llorente would score a fantastic goal, equalizing, securing the draw. Big disappointment for Real Madrid. Jubilation for Atletico. That's sports, baby. That's uh, that's what happens. There was one match left. Rayo, Vallecon- Rayo Vallecano hosted Sevilla. A brace by Moroccan Yusuf and Siri would be enough to give Sevilla the 2-1 road win. After 23 games, Real Madrid lead La Liga, just two points behind them in second place is Girona. That that shows you how big that game was. If they would have got that goal and got the win, they'd be top of the league. But hey, I digress. Third spot's held by Barcelona, with Atletico Madrid in the fourth spot. Some Copa del Rey going on this midweek. First leg of the semifinals, Tuesday and Wednesday, you got Mallorca hosting Real Sociedad. And on Wednesday, Atletico Madrid hosting Athletic Bilbao. From Spain... Germany. The German top side had some good games over the weekend. First game was a scoreless draw. Dortmund had 70% of the ball but could not score against Heidenheim. Big result for Heidenheim. 
Vera Bremen got a goal by Marvin Duksch not even two minutes into the match. And it would prove to be the difference as they won on the road against Mines. Leverkusen continue their amazing unbeaten run. Two goals by Nathan Tella. They got a 2-0 victory over Darmstadt, who continue to struggle. Stuttgart picked up a big road win over Freiburg. Two goals in the first seven minutes had Stuttgart rolling. Then the 18th minute roll would get a red card and Freiburg would have to play 72 minutes with a man down. First half of stoppage time, Kubler would give them some life with a goal, but Maximilian Mittelstach would get the dagger in the 74th minute for Stuttgart. Bayern Munich looked in trouble as visitors Mönchengladbach would go ahead in the 35th minute with Nico Alvede, but the home side kept their composure. Three unanswered goals by Pavlovich, Eri Kane, and Delict gave Bayern the 3-1 win. Tough, though, for a Canadian Alfonso Davies who had to leave that game with injury. Hopefully it's nothing serious. Colm picked up a surprising 2-0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. They finished the game with nine men after two guys got red cards. Leipzig would wrap the weekend up with a big 2-0 home win over Union Berlin. They've been struggling lately, so that's a big win for them. Mines will host Union Berlin midweek to make up for their postgame due to weather earlier this season. Looking at the table, Leverkusen, still unbeaten, still leading the Bundesliga. They have a two-point lead over rivals Bayern Munich. Massive match next Super Bowl Sunday. 11.30 a.m. Saskatchewan time. Leverkusen, Bayern Munich. A game that could decide the title. I wore the Bayern München jersey today. It's an honor. That's a big game. That's that's a good prelude to the Super Bowl for sure. Third position is the Stuttgart with Dortmund in fourth. And that Leipzig win have them just one point behind Dortmund in fifth. Here's Syria, head to Italy. Some good matches there. Shocking start to the weekend as Fiorentina looked to have completed a comeback, scoring two second-half goals to cancel out Lecce's first one. But a 90th-minute goal by Piccoli and a 92nd-minute goal by Patrick Dorgo put Lecce back ahead, and they pulled off the upset, winning 3-2 in front of a raucous home crowd. AC Milan were down 2-1 on the road to Frosinone, then a 72nd goal... 72nd-minute goal by Matteo Gabbia and an 81st-minute goal by Luka Jovic put Milan ahead for good as they won 3-2 with that comeback win. Bologna hosted Sassuolo, and after going down 1-0 just 13 minutes in, they'd equalize and then find themselves a goal down again just 10 minutes later. Then a span of 13 minutes in the second half, they went down from down 2-1 to up 4-2. Massive comeback. Crowd going bananas as they picked up the win. It was comeback fever this weekend as Napoli caught a little bit of it themselves. After 72 minutes without a goal, Verona would go ahead through Diego Coppola. Then in an eight-minute stretch, Napoli would get two goals, find themselves leading 2-1, and they'd hold on for the win. Big, big win for last year's champions who have been struggling this season. Atalanta put on a dominating performance in their 3-1 win over Lazio. Two goals by the 22-year-old Belgian Charles de Ketteler. He is very hyped up, and for good reason. And probably the most hyped up match of the weekend was between the two top teams in the league, Inter Milan hosting Juventus. A dangerous cross into the box was kind of whiffed on by an Inter striker, and the ball ended up getting chested into his own net by Federico Gatti. A tough own goal, because he didn't expect it. You expect the guy who's swinging his foot at it to hit it. <laughs> but uh, that goal, own goal was the only goal in the match. A massive result for Inter Milan as they kind of separate themselves a bit at the top of the table. Roma would crush Cagliari 4-0 to end the match week in Italy. And like I said, that result for Inter was massive. They now have a four-point cushion over Juventus with a game in hand. 
That's massive. AC Milan, four points behind Juventus in third, and Atalanta round out that fourth spot. Some Liga action before jumping into the games in the French top division, actually. Some big news affecting one of the biggest clubs. The now French superstar Kylian Mbappe has decided to join Real Madrid once his contract with PSG expires this summer. A massive blow to PSG and a massive blow to the Liga in general. His people love to see Mbappe play. Despite that tough news, PSG still went on, and Mbappe opened the scoring in a 2-1 win over Strasbourg. Rennes picked up a 2-1 win over Montpellier. Toulouse went on the road and beat Reims 3-2. Lorient went on the road to beat Metz 2-1. Lille hosted Clermont-Foot and had four first-half goals, leading to a 4-0 win. Two of those goals were scored by Canadian Jonathan David. Lons picked up a big road win over Nantes. Lyon would get a breakdancing-like goal with Alexander Cazette. Lacazette, who took a few whacks at it from the ground to get a 1-0 win over Marseille. That was a big win for Lyon. Other matches that ended in draws, Monaco split a point with Le Havre and uh, battled the top teams, Brestois, drawing with Nice, 0-0. No goals in that one. So that is PSG with an 8-point lead over second place Nice. Brestois just three points behind them, and Lille is tied with Monaco in fourth, but has a better goal difference. Last bit of footy here, scheduling released for the big 2026 FIFA World Cup that'll span across Canada, U.S., and Mexico. It'll be the first 48-team World Cup, and it'll be the longest, spanning 39 days from start to finish. Canada will host 13 matches, 7 in Vancouver, 6 in Toronto. Mexico will host 14 games, Mexico City 5, Guadalajara 4, and Monterey 4. The rest of the games will be in the States. The opening match will take place in the historic... Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. Semifinals will be in Dallas and Atlanta. Third place game will take place in Miami. And the final will take place in Jersey. Can't wait. Hopefully Canada can have a better showing in their second straight World Cup appearance. The NHL. Just as predicted in the previous episode, the four players who turned themselves in, the London, Ontario Police, Carter Hart of the Flyers, Michael McLeod and Cal Foot of the Devils, Dylan Dubé of the Flames, They've all been charged with sexual assault in connection with the alleged assault by several members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Team. The attorneys have said there's no wrongdoing. Today, the London, Ontario police had a press conference and they dropped that, uh, some news that the charges have been laid. And we'll see what happens here. We know how the legal system goes. This could be tied up for years, but something to definitely keep our eye on. Um, other new news, uh, the Blue Jackets rookie Adam Fantilli is expected to miss eight weeks due to a calf laceration. Vancouver Canucks trying to keep on their big season, acquiring Elias Lindholm from the Flames. They gave up Kuzmenko a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick in 2024, and two defensive prospects. Winnipeg Jets, they didn't sit still. They acquired Sean Monaghan from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for a 2024 first-rounder and conditional 2027 third. Two Canadian teams looking to make a cup run. I love it. And uh, that was the news, but obviously the biggest news in the NHL was the All-Star shenanigans. Fun-filled event going down in Toronto. We had Michael Bublé possibly on mushrooms. We had Nikita Kucherov getting booed for his effort or lack of effort in the skills competition. You had Connor McDavid running the joint, snagging a million bucks for the overall winner. He won fastest skater. The one-timer challenge is cool because we got to see Connor Bedard, who wasn't allowed to play because of his broken jaw. But uh, they were setting up the passes for the event, and Colorado's Nathan McKinnon would win that. The passing challenge needed video to determine the winner. It was that close, and it was Vancouver Canucks. Elias Pettersson, who had just barely beat Makara the Avalanche, 
But Makar would make up for it winning the hardest shot challenge with a shot of 102.56 miles per hour, just barely topping JT Miller. Stick handling went to McDavid as well as accuracy shooting and the obstacle course. The one-on-one event was kind of cool. You know, a skater got to choose a goalie and go at him for 60 seconds. Toronto's William Nylander won that one. Alexander Georgiev of Colorado made the most saves, which earned him a cool 100 grand. The big all-star game, Team Matthews, four Leafs on that team. They'd be Team McDavid in the final with a score of 7-4. Team Captain Matthews would win MVP of the game. And Celebrity Captain Justin Bieber rocking one heck of an outfit. Uh, Cool-looking game for sure. Looked like a lot of success in Toronto, you know? I was... An all-star game, they had people talking about some good positives. Maybe the Kucherov thing, not so good. But otherwise, it seemed like a pretty good success. Now those festivities are done, teams can concentrate on their run to the Cup. We already saw a few teams make some moves. We'll see how that goes. We'll go to some college hoops on the men's side. Big 12 Texas battle. Houston prevailed in overtime to beat the Longhorns. Duke beat up on Virginia Tech in ACC play. Throughout the rest of the week, you had a huge upset in the ACC as North Carolina suffered their first loss in conference play, losing the Georgia Tech of all teams by a Nathan George game winner. Another big upset in the SEC this time, South Carolina going on the road and beating a very good Tennessee team. TCU continued to roll in the Big 12, taking down Texas Tech. Kansas and Oklahoma got back on winning ways, beating with Kansas beating OK State and Oklahoma beating Kansas State, respectively. Illinois Marquette won big conference matchups, and Colorado State bounced back after some losses. The nice win over San Diego State. Number one team in college basketball, UConn, continued to look like a beast in the Big East, beating Providence. Some SEC battles had Auburn getting back on winning ways, thumping Vanderbilt. And Alabama won a big one over Georgia. Also in the SEC, Florida took Kentucky to overtime and triumphed over the Wildcats. Purdue picked up a nice Big Ten win over Northwestern, and Baylor beat UCF in the Big 12. Nebraska, they'd run the momentum of a hot second half to beat a ranked Wisconsin team in Big Ten play. Arizona flexed their muscle in conference play, beating Cal. Butler would shock Creighton in Big East play, holding them the one, beating them by one point on the road. That Creighton team is hard to trust this season. Anytime you have faith in them, they drop a game. Dayton still looking good in the Atlantic 10, beating St. Bonaventure. On the weekend, you had the number one team in college ball still looking good, with UConn beating St. John's now. Staying in the Big East, Marquette picked up a nice win over Georgetown. One of the best rivalries in sports, Duke and North Carolina. This was all North Carolina. They easy took care of the Dukies, dropping a Dukie on them in that one. The Big 12, there were some juicy matchups. You had some two top 10 teams, Houston and Kansas, going at each other. Jayhawks would prevail at home. Baylor was able to hold off a barrage from the Iowa State Cyclones to win that one by two. Cincinnati beating another ranked team. Shocking Texas Tech, giving them another loss. BYU beat West Virginia. Two upsets in the Big 12. UCF, this team is hot and cold. It's hard to predict them. They beat Oklahoma. And TCU beat Texas. Big 12, uh, sorry, Big 12 hoops have been, yeah, probably some of my favorites to watch this season. SEC hasn't been too bad either. Alabama picking up a big win over Mississippi State and Auburn beating Ole Miss. The juiciest match of the SEC this weekend was Tennessee and Kentucky. Another battle between two top teams in the the country. It was a close one, but Tennessee would distance themselves in the second half and pick up the big win. Um, And Sunday, we'd wrap it up with some big big play here. Um, You'd have Purdue and Wisconsin. That one went right down to the wire. 
And you'd have Purdue prevailing with the victory. Nebraska, again, taking a ranked team again to overtime, except this time they'd come up a little short. So that was a big bummer. And quick correction here. I said TCU beat Texas. As I was reading that, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Texas beat TCU. There we go. But, yeah, another crazy game. Arizona was down at halftime to Stanford, but would come back and dominate. A little bit of a brain fart there. And the women's side, LSU, started the week awful, suffering their second loss in a row, losing to Mississippi State. That's already LSU's fourth loss of the season, third in conference play. West Virginia would beat up on UCF. Paige Becker scored 21 as UConn picked up a nice bounce-back win over Villanova. Creighton tri- triumphed over Marquette in the Big East as well. Caitlin Clark dropped 35 points, 10 dimes, and 6 boards in a one-sided win over Northwestern. Staying in the Big Ten, Indiana took down Maryland. And another huge upset was Oklahoma giving Kansas State just their second loss of the season and their first in Big 12 play. Best team in women's college basketball continued to look that way. And uh, South Carolina dominating Auburn. Some great play in the ACC. Had battles of top 25 teams. NC State won over rivals North Carolina. Louisville beat Syracuse. And also in the ACC, Notre Dame crushed Georgia Tech. Virginia Tech beat rivals Virginia, and Ohio State continues to look great in the Big Ten, beating Wisconsin. And in a great battle in Texas, the Longhorns picked up a big win over the Baylor Bears. Some awesome Pac-12 games going on Friday. The biggest and best was the game between USC and Stanford. Stanford were favorites going in, but Juju Watkins said, yeah, I don't think so. The freshman guard dropped the USC record 51 points in the big win over Stanford. Amazing to see her play. you got to watch the highlights of that. Future face of college basketball right there. And also in the Pac-12, Colorado took down Washington State. UCLA beat Cal, and Utah beat Washington. Caitlin Clark continued her amazing play on the weekend, scoring 38 points and a big win over Maryland. She closes down on Kelsey Plum's scoring record. West Virginia, Gonzaga, each picking up conference wins. Sunday, you had some big SEC matchups. It looked like Ole Miss had a chance against South Carolina. And then at halftime, they were like, oh, yeah, we're South Carolina and won by almost 30. They still look like the best team in women's hoops. LSU bounced back from a rare two-game losing streak to crush Florida by 40. Big 12, as they always do, had some big games. Texas won again, this time upsetting Kansas State, giving them their third loss, back-to-back losses for Kansas State. Baylor bounced back from a loss to beat Houston. Stanford bounced back from that USC loss to beat UCLA by 20. Colorado continued the role as they beat Washington. Utah beat Washington State. And a huge win for the Beavers of Oregon State as they took down Oregon. USC won again, this time beating Cal. Juju didn't get 51 this time, only a game-high 29. She's something else. ACC Notre Dame continued to kick ass. They took down Pitt. Virginia Tech needed overtime, but they triumphed over UNC, giving them another loss. UConn picked up a big win in the Big East play, and Ohio State had a great second half to come back and beat Indiana in Big Ten play. There's some WNBA news. That season's not coming up yet, but some big signings and moves here. Uh, L.A. Sparks acquired Canadian Kia, Kia Nurse in the fourth pick in the 2024 draft from the Seattle Storm in exchange for the 2026 first-round pick. That gives the Sparks a second and fourth pick in the draft and kind of kick-started another move for them. The Sparks would then sign and trade Jordan Canada, who ironically isn't Canadian, and the 12th overall pick in the 2024 draft to the Atlanta Dream for former Arizona player Ari McDonald and the number 8th overall pick in that same draft. 
Seattle Storm, they signed Skylar Diggins-Smith, 33-year-old All-Star, spent the past three seasons with the Mercury. And they didn't stop there. Went the biggest move, maybe, signing eight-time All-Star forward Ineka Oguamike, 33-year-old, who spent the entire career with the Los Angeles Sparks. So lots going on in the sport. Like I said, big Super Bowl coming up. Tons of footy throughout the week. Holy japers. College hoops is ramping up. Because you know what, this is February, and you know what next month is in college hoops. We'll be talking more then. And I thought, hey, what short am I going to go with here? And then I thought, you know what, one came to me, and I was like, this was pretty stupid of me. But I was also a younger, naive person. But here we go. I was working at a gas station in Warman. I won't name the gas station, but it's probably good to know. There's only so many there. I was getting uh, looking forward towards the end of my shift because there was going to be a house party going on in Warman. I had a plan party, a plan just near the end of my shift, you know, I was going to get the party started on my own. I was going to, like, pop some ecstasy. But anyway, we'll go through the day first. During the day, I had a former basketball teammate come up to me, a former, you know, we went to school together. He's a little older than me. And uh, he was like, hey, man, uh, I need to borrow a car. I need to get to the city. I'm getting evicted. I'm losing everything. I'm losing my guitar, my dog. And I'm like, oh, man, that sounds fucking awful. And I'm... I'm just this young, dumb, and naive person. Here, borrow my car. Just make sure you bring it back before my shift's done. Hours are passing. I'm like, where the fuck's my car? I don't don't even think I have a contact number for this guy. What the fuck was I thinking? It's getting near the end of my shift, and, you know, I still have this plan in my head, so it's getting near that time. Like, my car's not here, but I do still have this ecstasy. So I did what most responsible adults do, and... Just before the end of my shift, I dropped the tab of ecstasy. So, of course, it's starting to finish. It's starting to kick in as I'm wrapping up my shift. So, I don't know if I was technically high at work. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not good to do at all. This is a young, dumber, ready. Do not do ecstasy at work. But, uh, yeah, it's kicking in, shift's ending, no sign of my car. What the fuck is happening? Now I'm tripping. This was not a good idea. I go home. I'm like, I got called police. So I call cops. I'm like, yeah, my car has been stolen. They're asking me about it. And they're like, oh, where'd you leave it? I'm like, no, uh, you came up to me and I gave him the keys. And they're like, what? Was it stolen then? It sounds like you just gave this guy your car. I'm like, ah, fuck. Well, he hasn't brought it back. So I'm looking. I don't even remember how that call ended. But I look in the phone book. I'm like, well, his parents live in town. I found his number. Called it. And I'm like, hey, is your son home? He has my car. And he's like, oh, geez, that's not good. And it sounds like this was a problem. And, like, this is a reoccurring thing or something. He's like, you didn't call the cops, did you? I'm like, fuck yeah, I did. I don't know where my car is. And he's like, oh, shit. Well, I know some of his spots. I'll go look. So he sets off. I tell my friends what's going on. They're like, hey, where are you? And I'm like, I'm chilling in the front yard, tripping out, wondering where my car is. So a few buddies come over, and we're chilling out, hanging out on the front lawn. Get a call from the guy's dad asking if my car has a spring on the dash. I'm like, oh, yeah. Luckily, just a few weeks before, we kind of, like, spun a sting on a, a spring onto the vent. So it had, like, a sweet slinky motion. I don't know. It's on the trip on, I guess. I don't know. But regardless, he saw it. He saw the slinky. He's like, this is the car. So I'm like, fuck, yeah. Awesome. So we just continue there. Get fucked up. We're like, hey, the car is coming. It's got to be. He's found it. Then all of a sudden, I see my car coming up the street to, like, my, my parents' house where I was living. I'm like, yes, it's here. And he, like, drives onto the front lawn, does a U-turn back on the street, and takes off. We're like, what the fuck? We all start running, like, chasing him. Like, hey, get back. He pulls over, gets out of the car. Gives me the keys. He's like, hey, thanks, man. Sorry, my dad's being a dick. And I'm just like, 
what? So I was like, fuck, I get my car, turn around, bring it, like, the block back to my house. My CD case, because, yeah, this the dated story, a CD case. And with all my CDs in it, they were tossed all over. It's like, he was like, nope. Instead of just turning the page, it was like, nope, nope. And just tossed it all over. And he used to say, yeah, sorry, my dad's being a dick. For getting my car back? I don't know. He must have went on some joyride. And it turns out he's, like, a recovering drug addict. Maybe you should ask that before you lend someone your car. Are you on drugs? you plan on doing drugs with my car? Those are good questions to ask. Just don't lend your car to anyone, maybe. And if you do, maybe don't do a bunch of ecstasy before you have to try to call the police and get the car back. I mean, I laugh about it now, but holy shit, it was Stress City there. That was fucked up, but... Hey, that's episode 48, guys. It's an episode 48 in the books. Hopefully, it'll be later than usual. But it'll be on the intro. Thanks again for tuning in. You can catch my NBA recap. It's on the YouTube page.